Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum Radio Show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for, bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to answer life's hard questions the same way Jesus did. Today we're going to interview a very dear friend of mine who has served the Lord faithfully as a full-time missionary and now as a professor at a Christian college, Dave Parrish. Dave obtained his degree in aviation maintenance technology from Portland Community College and is working towards his master's in aeronautics at Liberty University. He has over 20 years of experience in the industry, including many years as a full-time missionary in several countries with Mission Aviation Fellowship. He was an instructor of aviation maintenance technology at Portland Community College and is currently teaching in that field at Liberty University. Dave, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks, Roy. So first of all, what is aviation maintenance technology and how did you choose to spend your whole life in that industry? Aviation maintenance technology is basically the repairing and maintaining of aircraft. We inspect them and we repair them. And so all the way from your small, typical small Cessna type aircraft to helicopters all the way up to the big airliners. So that kind of encompasses a lot there and a very wide variety of types of technology. So how did I get into aviation maintenance? Well, my grandfather worked as a civil servant during World War II in the States. My father was an aircraft mechanic in the Air Force and brought me to air shows all growing up. For my 16th birthday, I got my first flight lesson. But as things started progressing on in my life, I decided to not go that direction. And I ended up in construction. Hmm. A friend of mine was helping me do some construction work. And then one day he asked me if I go and help him work on an airplane. I was on a Saturday and just married. My wife was pregnant with our first son. And I said, honey, I think I want to go back to school and work on airplanes. And uh, (laughs) after helping him for one day, she said, well, I guess now is the time to do it before having a bunch of kids. So we started on that direction and I went to Portland Community College and met up with a bunch of guys that were actually heading on the mission field. And for me, it was a career change. But then the Lord kind of guided that in a different direction over some time. I know I can barely keep my car running. (laughs) I can't imagine all the technology and sophistication of trying to maintain an airplane. Is it just kind of like being a car mechanic on steroids? Or is there a bunch of like flight physics that you have to understand or or what's kind of at the essence of aviation maintenance compared to other kind of mechanical work? We have the typical piston engine, a reciprocating engine for the small ones. And then we go all the way up to the big turbine engine and turbo fans for your large transport category. So those two big separations there. And then of course, helicopters are their own bird. And (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And then there's some big differences in altitude, right? So Hmm. we fly airplanes, really high and it's really cold up there. The pressures are low up there, which means um, 
Not that there's a lack of oxygen, but the lack of ability to get oxygen up mm. at low pressures. And it's really cold. So the airplanes have to be able to withstand a lot of different climate changes, you could say. And those are some of the big stressors on the aircraft. Hmm. Well, it seems like if I get something wrong on my car, it just means I am end up broke down on the highway and I got to call my wife or I got to walk home or whatever. It seems like the pressure of maintaining an aircraft, boy, that seems stressful. Is aviation maintenance, do you have to just be really disciplined or really careful or what makes a good aviation technician? Well, it's kind of all the above, but first and foremost, we use checklist and we use tech data. So never leaving the concept of a checklist and never veering away from the tech data that the manufacturers give you guide us in the right direction. But you're right. As soon as the airplane's up and off the ground, there's not just a road to pull off on the side of the road to. <laughs> so um, that is where the stress comes in. So we like to say we'll never send an airplane out that we wouldn't put one of our family members on. Mm, wow. That's a high standard. <laughs> and as part of being a maintenance technician in aviation, do you fly yourself? I have flown. I have a logbook. I decided to not pursue that direction years ago. One of my sons is just a couple hours away from having his private pilot's license. One of my sons has his private pilot's license. And one of my sons is actually currently in my classes right now. So <laughs> that's a change of concept there. You're continuing that legacy of your father and grandfather in the aviation industry. Right. And some of my kids continuing on that direction as well. <laughs> oh, that's super cool. Well, it seems like You'd have to be very disciplined in your thinking, in your problem-solving skills, in your analysis in a very technical field like aviation maintenance technology. How has that affected how you learn about the Bible, how you study the Bible, how you apply the Bible? How has that shaped your biblical worldview to be in such a technical field? Probably one of the things that stands out to me the most that has been something I always go back to and I always even share with my students is in aviation, everything has a standard. Hmm. We have a standard for an inch and everybody knows what an inch is, no matter which part of the country you're going to. And if you're overseas, then you're looking at the metric system, but there's always a standard there. Hmm. And no matter where you go in the world, a pound is a pound. For a crankshaft, there's a standard for which that cannot fall below. And Whenever I'm measuring that, when I'm doing an engine overhaul and I'm measuring that, that standard, I can't release the airplane to fly unless it meets the standard. Hmm. So for a biblical view, we know that God has made a standard. Hmm. So the standard becomes the word of God for our lives. So I kind of like to look at those two things together and say that God has made a standard and he gives it to us and we have a standard in our industry and we know how important it is in our industry to live by that standard. I like to encourage my students at the community college and at a Christian university like I'm at now to look at those things and for themselves say, do I have a standard? Hmm, that's really good. You bring up a good point about having taught at both a secular university at Portland Community College and now at a Christian university, Liberty, in Virginia. How would you compare those experiences? I would imagine that most of your students at the Christian college have a biblical worldview coming into your class, and maybe the assumption would be most of the students at the secular college 
didn't? Did they approach aviation mechanics differently because of that? Or how would you compare and contrast those experiences teaching in those different environments? At the community college, I'd say probably probably getting about you know, 20%, 25% coming into the community college. They have some kind of Christian worldview. Maybe they grew up in the church or they went to some kind of Christian camp as a kid yeah. as early as like vacation Bible school or something like that. And then at a place like Liberty, it's probably closer to about 75 or 80% mm-hmm. of the students. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and every now and then we do have students coming in that don't have much of a Christian background and they've chosen Liberty because it's a good school and it's highly recommended in the industry. Mm. But for the students, how do they approach aviation maintenance with the two different backgrounds? I've had a lot of students come in at the community college where they didn't have a Christian worldview, but their parents were really grounded people. Mm. In our industry, there's a lot of ethics. When I sign off an airplane, I'm saying that that airplane is ready to fly. So it's my word, basically, when I've signed my name to it, and say that it's ready, that's my word. As somebody not having the Christian worldview, they can still have a good upbringing and good standards to live by that maybe they've been taught. Mm -hmm. And so that doesn't necessarily play into one or the other. And I have some kids in my classes that are homeschooled, some that have gone to public schools. Mm -hmm. They don't even share some of the same ethics as some of the kids that didn't. So it's really kind of a mishmash of of both. Mm -hmm. Were you able to have some personal conversations as you guys are rebuilding a, <laughs> an aircraft engine or doing maintenance or preventative maintenance on an aircraft or anything? You know, I'm sure you hung out with students in some form or another. What kind of questions did the kids who had a Christian background versus the kids who didn't have a Christian background, what kind of questions were they asking you or each other about life? I mean, I would always make myself known as a follower of Christ wherever I go. My students at the community college, they knew that I was a Christian and they would be asking questions. Some of the kids that grew up in Christian homes that knew I was a believer, um, you fall into more of a kind of a mentorship with them where mm. they were really seeing you as maybe their next youth pastor even. Mm. Mm. You kind of mentor them in that way as they're going through your classes. Kids that were not Christians, sometimes they'd be challenging me, which was good. And challenging me in front of the class with the other students on Christian worldviews, what I believe as a Christian, maybe on some different aspects of the Bible. And even students that would say, hey, I know you're a Christian. I kind of grew up a Christian. I'm going through some rough stuff. Would you mind praying for me? And, uh, And of course I would. And sometimes I would just say, hey, let's take a couple of minutes and let's pray together and see if God can answer what you're going through and be your foundation and maybe even moving forward and get them back walking with the Lord. At Liberty, at a Christian college, we start every day with doing devotionals. Yesterday, I started a new class in mornings, and I started off, we watched the Bible Project on Titus. We're going to be working through the book of Titus over the next three weeks. Small book, a lot there. So in this class particularly, it's all male. That's not always the case. Usually, there's a couple of ladies that are in the group. In this class, though, there's all guys, and so... We were talking about in Titus there where it talks about what does it take to be an elder. And we were kind of looking at it saying like, well, are these just things that a Christian should exemplify? Are these things that just an elder exemplifies? And what we kind of came down to as a class, we said, these are things that all Christians should exemplify. But for the elder, 
these are things that they must exemplify. Mm. So that's the kind of conversations that we get to have um, when we're doing our devotions. And then, of course, throughout the day of working on the airplanes and stuff like that, of course, those kind of conversations are always continuing. In the community college, the secular environment, did you ever feel like living out your faith? You said you made it a point to make it known that you were a Christian and, you know, among the other faculty and staff and, and administration at the college. Did you ever feel like that set you back or that was held against you, that you were an outspoken Christian in your field? I never felt like it was something that was set me back, like I didn't get a promotion or anything like that. Hmm. I did feel sometimes that there was a little bit of uh, a scrutiny or don't talk too much about that, <laughs> kind of like that. I felt like I had some good managers there. One of my deans at one point was a believer himself, so that worked well. But I never felt like I was squashed or anything like that. I really believe that if a Christian is kind of living it out, showing their faults, and letting that roll itself out and being uh, being apologetic and walking out the Christian life in front of people in the good and the bad. People see you more as a person and rather than jumping right to conclusions. It was interesting. A few weeks ago, I interviewed a pretty prominent professor at MIT, the dean of the aeronautics department, Professor Daniel Hastings. And he ended up, actually at one point in his career, he was the chief scientist of the Air Force and on a lot of committees of aviation and aeronautics and things like that. And I asked him the same question. I said, hey, you've risen to some pretty prominent roles in your career. Have you ever felt like being an outspoken Christian, same thing, held you back or that was held against you? And he gave the same answer. He said, no, if you're life is consistent with your talk, it actually hasn't been a negative or a handicap for him. And so I thought that was interesting. And I hope that encourages the people out there who are listening, who you're in a career, you're in your field, and I would really encourage you to be outspoken about your faith and bold to share with people what you believe. Because I think there's a lot of examples where God can use that, and your career isn't stifled just because you're announced as a Christian as long as your walk matches your talk. So that's an encouraging thing. Well, Dave, let me switch gears a little bit. Tell us more about your time on the mission field with MAF. A lot of people can relate to you know having a career, maybe even being a teacher, but uh, a full-time Christian missionary, that's always held in a different light because not a lot of people have that experience. Tell us a little bit about your experience during that time. One of my concepts or things I believe about being on the mission field is be who you are at home. Mm. You need to be the kind of person before you go that is wanting to see the kingdom unfold in front of you. And going, you're basically just taking the career that God's given you already and transplanting yourself to another place and walking that out in front of people who haven't heard the gospel or they don't have the local Walmart that has a Bible on the shelf. Basically transplanting yourself to another place and living out your faith there. For me, that's obviously aviation. God gave me opportunities to take my aviation maintenance career um, overseas and do that as a profession, being able to get people around and be able to share my faith with people that I work with in the hangar and 
employing locals and then even living that out in front of my neighbors and just being the same neighbor I would be in America to my neighbor. Yeah, I like how you stated that. If you're going to be a missionary, you better be mission-minded <laughs> first here, wherever you are. That's a great way to look at it. What were some of the things that you saw in your own life that made you come to that conclusion that, you know what, I am mission-minded. I am living out my faith this certain way, and I think being a missionary overseas w would be a good match for me. When I was at PCC as a student, some of the other students that were in my cohort, they were kind of intentionally going that direction. I was just making a career change, hmm. interested in always sharing my faith with people around me. I saw that to be a good match, and my wife grew up as a missionary kid on the mission field. We kind of just started exploring, like, is that something that God would have us do? And I had been working in the industry for about five years at that point, several different companies, even in Portland, and just kind of was asking God, is this something that you would want us to do? I was happy to just stay in Portland doing my mm -hmm. career, but God was saying, no, I want you to take that same career and I want you to bring it overseas. So, and that's what we did. Mm, that's cool. I hope that's encouraging to some of the people listening that you don't have to go overseas to be a missionary. You can start right here with your friends, your neighbors, your own community, sharing your faith, telling others about Jesus and what he's done in your life. And if God chooses to develop that and use that to make you a full-time missionary overseas, that's something great that God could do. But you don't have to wait for that. You could start right where you are right now. I think of the same thing for apologetics. I think a lot of people say, boy, like someday I want to really study apologetics and really master this art of defending my faith and knowing how to study the Bible in such a way that it brings good answers. And I always tell people, well, what conversations are you having with your friends right now? You have questions. Your friends have questions. Why don't you go try and answer those questions together using the Bible? And sometimes people think, well, it can't be that easy. <laughs> I can't just start there. I need to go get a degree in this. I need to be called as a full-time apologist or whatever. And I don't think that's the way the Bible describes it. I think like you said with missions, you can start right where you are, where God has you today, and see if that's something that God develops. As a final question, Dave, you and I homeschooled our kids together in what I would call a very progressive culture of Portland, Oregon. And I know your kids also attended various international schools all around the world when you were a missionary. What would you say were the questions that they were asking, kind of apologetics questions about God and faith and the Bible, were those the same kind of questions you saw here as at the international schools, or were they different, and if they were, how so? I think that they were very similar, but wrapped up a little bit differently, right? Because kids are asking questions that are kind of on the ground, questions that they're wanting answered, that they're dealing with, like, real life, just like we do, right? <laughs> so sometimes we make these questions bigger than they really are, and we think that it's really complicated answers, mm -hmm. but it's really just giving really practical things that they would be encountering when we were overseas. And I talked to some of their parents and when they were in high school, their parents were okay with them smoking pot. You had a ninth or 10th grader and the parents were smoking pot at home and 
and they didn't see any problem with their kids doing it with them, uh, you know, recreationally. And so our kids would ask us about that. Like, Is this wrong? We'd unfold those questions, you know, not just in one shot, one quick nugget, right? These are conversations that you have <laughs> over weeks, yeah. right? Yeah. That seems like a neat way to engage. I think a lot of people who they grew up in the United States, their parents grew up in the United States, and their parents grew up in the United States, and they have a very American culture, they can tend to sometimes think, oh, well, the Bible says you have to do it this way or that. One of the things that I've noticed when I've traveled internationally is there's a lot of different cultures. <laughs> and Christians in different cultures sometimes come to very different conclusions about things. And so it's uh, that must have been a fascinating conversation all the time with your kids as you separate out, well, in the United States, it might be traditional or typical to do it this way, but is that a biblical thing or is that an American culture thing? And so that must have been a fascinating study for them. Are there, are there any other examples like that? That Smoking pot is a great example. Can you think of any others? I'd say one of the most interesting things I ran across, and this is with like-minded workers, the people that we'd be working with that are also doing missionary work. People are coming from all different countries, all different backgrounds, different church backgrounds mm. they're coming from. So uh, we have just become really great friends with some pretty far spectrum of Pentecostal. And to engage with them and learn from them and them learn from us, living in that environment, I would have called myself more of a conservative Christian. And us having kind of rubbing on each other and having these great conversations, I felt like it furthered my faith. It never hindered it. And mm. of course, the kids get to watch us with their friends, parents, having these great conversations of what does that look like? What, what do you mean, Dad? You know, after you get home from hanging out for the evening, having dinner, well, Dad, what does Pentecostal really mean? Right? Because they're only hearing it as a word, or maybe they heard it in a sermon or something. Somebody right. said that. And, or they're relating it just to Pentecost or something like yeah. that. We'd have these great conversations with them about what does it mean? You know, they know that their friends are Christians, yeah. right? Just uh, expressing it a little bit differently. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. I think that's one of the things that we've tried to strive for in this ministry specifically is to have those conversations with people that you either might outright disagree with or maybe you just have a little bit different perspective but if you have those conversations with mutual respect and gentleness and kindness, like you said, you actually end up growing a lot more and recognizing your need <laughs> to grow a lot more than, than you may have assumed. And so I think that's a great approach for life, whether it's on the mission field or the study of apologetics or just conversations in general with your friends or family or your community, having that open-mindedness and that gentleness and humility in your speech is just a huge blessing all around, no matter what culture you're from. Well, hey, Dave, thanks a lot for being with us on the radio show today. And I have so much respect for you and your family and your career and how you have chosen to serve the Lord faithfully in your family and across all the things that you guys do. So it was a pleasure talking with you today on the radio show. Great. Thanks, Roy. And likewise. Well, how about you? How do you see God present in your career and your lifestyle? How have you navigated the complicated landscape of 
different cultures and backgrounds to make your faith known and understood? Do you feel like you need better training and instruction on how to live out your calling to make God known as He really is? You can visit our website at theambassadorsforum.com for lots of helpful resources on how to share and defend and apply your faith. Finally, thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you.